This is Lee Wilkins, your co-host for Thinking Out Loud, and today we're going to be talking about all things film, specifically the new folks in charge at the Ragtag Film Society, what they have in store for us, and a little bit of insight into the upcoming True False Film Festival. So with that, I would like to welcome both Chris and Camelia to the studio. Thank you guys for taking the time out. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Okay, since you are in some ways new to the community, at least newer than the founders and creators of Ragtag were, I'd like to start by asking you to just tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you wound up in this weird place doing this wonderful thing. So Camille, let's start with you. Sure, yeah. Um, thanks again for having us. It's great to be here. Um, I've been with True False and the organization in some way for about 10 years, I think. Um, and I how did that start? Did well, you... you know, it started by me applying for a job at Ragtag Cinema okay. and not getting it. But um, <laughs> Paul liked me and said, hey, would you want to do stuff with True False? And I said, sure, that sounds great. Um, so I was the True Life Fund coordinator for one year, um, but that was not really the best place for me at the organization. So I ended up um, volunteering for a year. And then I, uh, David and uh, somebody else who used to be with the organization asked me to um, create the map that's at the Globe Theater. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the start, I think, of my trajectory with the organization, I guess. So, um, so well, certainly I, creating that map gives you kind of an overview, if you will, sure. a literal <laughs> well, overview of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I worked with a lot of volunteers um, and got to know uh, a variety of people within the organization through that. And your current title is? Uh, director of True False. Okay, Director of True False. Mm -hmm. And so I have to ask, because everybody will want to know, how did you get interested in film? Well, I have been interested in the arts as long as I can remember. Um, and I guess my first real foray into being interested in film was when I was in college and I started working at a movie theater and just, you know, for a few years got to watch everything because I was working That's at a movie do. theater. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I feel like I learned something about film during that time. But um, I'm not by any means the expert. Chris is the expert in this room. <laughs> okay, Chris, that was a wonderful segue. So, Chris, I'm going to ask the same sort of set of questions from you. Could you introduce us to yourself a little bit and tell us how you got involved? Sure. So I grew up in Columbia. I was born here. Okay. Um, so it's, it's just a geographic accident that you fell <laughs> into this thing. I feel very lucky. Um, yeah. I, you know, went to like a Catholic elementary school. And I, when I started switching to the public schools in eighth grade is when I, around the same time that I discovered uh, Ragtag Cinema. Uh -huh. And um, it was kind of a, this really exciting moment where I started to discover how big the world was in part through that cinema. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw an advertisement asking for volunteers uh, for the True False Film Fest. Uh, so when I was 15 years old, I signed up for it. Um, and what did what did your what was your volunteer job at that time? I think there were only three or four high school students in Columbia who were volunteering, and they assigned all of us to be filmmaker liaisons, which meant that we were you know walking filmmakers to venues, bringing flowers to their hotel rooms, etc. So a lot of interaction with the the directors who were coming to town, and a lot a lot of a lot of up close and personal contact with people who actually were very are crucial to the festival. Right, that as well. Yeah, and so yeah, it was it was meeting people though from outside of Columbia for the first time in a lot of for me um now that i think back <laughs> on it um 
and from you know like Scandinavia or wherever. And um, and I think I got in my head because I had an ego at the time, still probably have an ego uh, <laughs> that I could make a movie. And so I started making really bad short films and submitting them and getting rejected from the festival. Uh-huh. I guess getting rejected by the organization is a thread here. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize it. that, but you're right. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, eventually, one of them ended up making its way into the festival, and I started working for it um, a, a week after that. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was in 2006. And so can you tell us what your current title is? Sure. I am the director of film programming, which means that alongside uh, Janelle Augustine and Amir George, I help select the movies for the festival. Okay. So we're, we're very focused here on true false mm-hmm. and within that ragtag. And we'll leave the rejection part out if that's if that's okay with the with the two of you. Although it does it does seem that at, at sometimes I tell former students it's a character test it, more than anything else. It sounds like you both passed. Yeah, it uh, clearly uh, provided opportunities for both of us. Yeah. So yeah. I, don't think it's bad. I, I don't mind you including it myself no, at me all. Neither. Really, me neither. Um, I, I, yeah, okay, so... Um, I, I've gone to the festival for 15 years. I missed the first one, which I greatly regret, but you know, you can't have everything. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's always amazed me is how in the world these things get selected because I know Paul and David also go to places like Sundance and try to wheedle people into coming. So can you kind of give us a bird's eye view of what that process looks like and, and why there are people about this time of year, I think, running into walls because they've looked at so many films. <laughs> uh, so our selection process involves, I guess, two different components. One, we do have a standard submissions pool that we are looking at, um, which has grown over the years. The number of filmmakers who are you know, paying $35, $40 to ask us to watch their film in full, um, have it reviewed and talked about, and then have it kind of notified. And some films come through that way. Um, and about how many of them are we talking, say, the last two, three, four years? Number um, of submissions? Yes. Um, it's a, a little over 1,000, around 1,100 films. Oh, um, dokie then. <laughs> <laughs> and in addition to that, we're also, we have relationships with lots of filmmakers. We have lots of filmmakers we've admired from afar and also just lots of festivals whose programming we admire. So we're kind of tracking lots of films that are either in production or have just been completed and soliciting them. And so those films are also making their way into the pool for consideration. And uh, and yeah, so like, for like for this year's festival, which I think is in early March, if I mm-hmm. think if I've got the yep. dates right. March 5th through 8th. Okay, mm-hmm. March 5th through 8th. Um, so for this year's festival, where are you in that? Where are you in that process? I mean, have you picked any films at all at this point? Or are we still in the, oh, my goodness, there's 500 of these and I have to find the three that are the most wonderful Somewhere in between those two. Okay. Um, we are, uh, I believe at this point we've invited 10 films. Our lineup will ultimately consist of around 38 films. Right. Uh, and that's in the feature selection and shorts. So we're a little bit behind that. Um, uh-huh. But in, in terms of where we're at in the process, we're deep in viewing right now. Um, and it's going to continue all the way through the end of January. Okay. And when you say we are deep in viewing, yes. who is we? So I should start by saying we have a, a community of volunteer screeners from across the community uh, who are all... About how many? There are around 20 people who are doing that right now. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, and then in addition to that, there are three of us who are programming the festival together that, who are having the kind of conversations about whether to invite a film or not. Um, one is named Janelle Augustine. Yes. Uh, this is her first year here. Uh, she came for us, to us from the Sundance Institute prior. Uh-huh. Um, and then we have another programmer named Amir George. This is his second year at the festival. Um, he's a filmmaker from Chicago who co-founded a series called Black Radical Imagination. Mm-hmm. So. 
Okay. And so when you say the conversations that you're having, um, without mentioning a specific film, can you tell me sort of what are the things that you guys wind up looking for? I mean, I can can kind of do it as a as an audience member, but I'm curious as to as to how you all look at it because I'm sure it's more professionally than I would. Uh, you know, I, and we focus on cinema that is constructed from reality. Um, which yes. I'm saying this is a little bit way of distinguishing it from maybe documentary, which is one kind of way of of one almost subgenre or something of that act of trying to frame reality. Okay. Um, and when we're doing that, we're looking for films that are like engaging with the real world in an imaginative way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, we're also looking for films that do it sensitively. So, um, and th- those are kind of just some kind of criteria that we're operating with at just the beginning of this process. We look for films with imagination and sensitivity. Uh-huh. Um, and in terms of what kind of conversations we're happening about, it's it's almost film by film because every single film has its own sort of language that it's operating within. And we're attempting to kind of understand that language, understand the decisions that are going into it, appreciate it. Um, and pick it apart. Honestly, a lot of, a lot of films are the the nice thing about when you're talking about documentaries or films that are constructed from reality is that they're all imperfect by nature because you can't frame reality in a perfect way. So um, it's kind of a lot of just like tearing into the movies that we're watching and finding which conversations ultimately we find the most stimulating afterwards. Okay. And those are the ones that rise above um, right. and make their way into the festival. And so, Camelia, how do you come into this process or when do you come <laughs> into this process? Well, very rarely, honestly. Okay. Um, I... Uh, leave the film programming to Chris and Amir and Janelle in their incapable hands. Um, I do, I am uh, somewhat involved in the True Life Fund film selection process. There's a larger group of people who who spend some time on that. Um, so there's a few people um, within the education team and community partnerships team. Um, yeah, so it's, I think it's more like six or seven people who who are watching that film and sort of deciding what makes sense there and I'm not really sure when that started or why I think it's sort of to do with um the fact that it is a place where we you know it's probably our highest profile film in a lot of ways Uh because we spend a lot of time talking about it and so just thinking about like well what are audiences going to react to and I think it kind of helps to have people outside of the film programming room who who aren't thinking about it very much at all so I to consider that I know that's been a little bit controversial in the past couple of months and I sort of want to come back to that sure but before I do that I want to pull a thread on something that Chris said so Chris said Ragtag is looking to program films that engage with reality as opposed to documentaries. For many of us, those are the same category, mm. but you made a distinction. So talk to me a little bit about how we might distinguish documentary from films that engage with reality. Um, I, I, I don't know if I would say I would. Just, I think that documentary is a word that came about and that has a lot. Of, it's a very loaded word. And I, I just try to avoid it because of the the connotations that come with it. Um, and those connotations are? It depends on who you're talking to. For some people, the connotations are just as simple as it's a very kind of stuffy kind of set language for how you make movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I say documentary, their mind immediately goes to a bunch of sit-down interviews of people who are presented to the public as experts. Okay. Um, and the simple goal is to just educate someone about a goal. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that I try to avoid because the types of films that we're talking about are not really films that are setting out simply to explain something to you. Right. Um, so that's one reason why I do it. And the other 
the only version is that there are movies that we exhibit at the festival that um, the marketplace will call fiction films that will traditionally get presented as fiction films, but we're presenting them because we understand they actually have a pretty deep connection to reality, and we want to have a conversation about that. So um, that's why it's sometimes easier, as much as I might sound pretentious saying cinema constructed from reality, yeah. it's just a little bit more accurate, and I think it kind of gets your head in the kind of like right space to help explain like what the lineup looks like and what type of questions we're having. Well, and I, I know at least in the past couple of years um as a as a journalism person i'm going you can't make this stuff up if you send it in as a script people would say this is unreal or untrue um or patently not believable um or i was at one ragtag film where paul says it lives on the slash and i i think there's i think there's still something to that at least i carry that around in my in my head a fair amount um so are there um i don't say themes that come up in different years like i know a couple of years ago there were an enormous number of films or at least the ones that i picked um were about um family and in different places and you know sort of that Mm -hmm. and then i last year i remember attending a couple of films where there was no narration at all so i was (laughs) i'm kind of wondering are there are there like trends that you're seeing yeah it's actually you know it's a little early in the process but one thing that we've a thread that we've picked up on uh, this year is uh, a lot of people who are attempting to kind of escape from reality and create their own versions of it. Uh-huh. Um, so like little bubbles that are forming from uh, specifically within the United States, actually. Um, there's one film that we watched recently and have invited that's focusing on the boomer generation and their... Um, this would be OK Boomer? <laughs> yes, it's it's kind of the OK Boomer movie of the festival. Um, and this is about kind of retirees who have kind of entered this, re- you know, this retirement community that feels like its own little bubble separate from reality. And even within that community, people are acknowledging that there's kind of an ignoring of the reality at large. And then uh, I will say there's an OK Millennial equivalent uh, to the, <laughs> film, the, okay. the festival this year, um, which is about a kind of group of people who are, this is about the internet in some ways, but um, about young people who have decided to kind of run away from reality and only kind of engage through online uh, media. But it, it's it's kind of all over the place in the country right now, almost a, a, an avoiding of reality. As, and so I think that's one thing that... Where our, fest- our programming comes from, we we start out with the pres- <laughs> under believing that there is a collective reality that's really important to us, mm-hmm. um, and so that's the framework through which we watch all movies. So you said you've invited ten films. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that process involve? I mean, I'm sure you don't just call up the director and say, "Hey, by mm-hmm. the way," um, and then that's the sort of follow up is. Of the 10 films that are invited, how many of them are likely to say yes, or is that mm-hmm. still pretty much a running target? Um, so there are a few factors. We Every single notification is personalized. We make it, It's very important to of us. Course. And something that actually yeah, weirdly distinguishes us from some other festivals is that we feel like it's important to explain why we want to exhibit a movie in the first place. Mm-hmm. So there's a letter that we take a lot of time we all look at before we send it out to the filmmaker. But uh, there are two kind of things that make the actual confirmation of a film tricky. One is that we have to deal sometimes with the film's premiere status. Yes. So the first time a film screens in either the world or the continent, that's kind of a fragile. That is a fragile thing, and it's a responsibility for a festival to do that. Um, and so we sometimes have to navigate the the politics of that. Uh-huh. Um, and the second component is that we require a filmmaker with every single movie that we exhibit. So it's also getting someone to clear out their schedule for four days of the year to come to Columbia, Missouri. Um, in a terms place of... most of them hadn't heard of until about 16 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, we're 
very persistent. Um, and at this point, we've had nine of the ten films I mentioned have, have confirmed. Um, and then that that tenth movie is in that tricky spot with the premiere status. And so it's a lot of kind of navigation that we're doing right now, talking to other festivals and trying to sort it out because we want to bring it. If we want to bring a movie, we fight very hard to make sure that we can bring it and play it in Columbia, Missouri. Okay. And I'm assuming that when True Faults first started, which was before you were involved in this part of it, right. it was harder to get people to say yes. Is that true? Or is that just a myth that we've all developed because we love the festival so much? No, that's that's absolutely true. And it's a testament to, to Paul and David's persistence that they were able to convince some very big names in the first year, year or two to come to the festival. I mean, this the festival opened up with Kevin McDonald bringing Touching the Void, which is like Kevin McDonald is one of the, the biggest Scottish directors in the world, mm -hmm. um, directs major Hollywood movies, um, and was at that time a major director. So um, that you know that act of getting him was, uh, I'm sure, it took a lot of kind of building on connections that they'd made over the years and what have you. But it wasn't an easy thing, I don't think, in the earlier years. And the more people have come and experienced Columbia, Missouri, and the kind of enthusiasm that exists here for documentary cinema of the real, whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> then the easier it's been to you know build this this festival okay so you said you've got 10 invitations out mm -hmm. so let's assume everybody says yes so that's 10 out of 38 where do the other 28 come from <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to figure that out okay uh, no, no. <laughs> sorry no 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 uh you know we are continuing to look through submissions we have i mean we're, we will spend the entire holiday season janelle amir and i will be just completely like nose deep in movies um so there are also films that are still reaching out to us trying to get into the submission pool even if they miss the deadline and we will watch some of those films and then we have a few other festivals on the horizon the sundance film festival in january the Berlin LA, which is in February, um, and Rotterdam, which is in January, and all those festivals have still are in the process of announcing, so more films will land on our radar that way as well. Okay, um, so and that. when you say land on your radar, so so obvious, so I'm going to talk about the one I know a tiny bit about, which mm -hmm. is Sundance, um, and obviously when you've got somebody who's got Sundance connections, you have some I don't want to say connections, but insights into the world of, of how that of how that works. Mm -hmm. So w let's say a film is announced at Sundance, and you guys say, "Well, that looks like a good bet for True Faults." Mm -hmm. Then what happens? Because I assume they would want to premiere at Sundance because it's. Yeah, and, and so we're or... frequently the second stop. We don't believe in holding a film's premiere status against it ever. Okay. Um, so we're frequently the second stop for a movie that plays at Sundance, which is in January. Um, and so, uh, yeah, when a film is at Sundance, it's been, like the first wave of announcements happened this past week. We'll send out an email to whoever it is the best contact for that film, which sometimes we know the producer, sometimes it's a sales agent, um, and we'll get an access to a screener, and we'll watch that screener together and talk through it and uh -huh. make a decision usually afterwards. Okay. And so of the films that just are submitted, the way that you mm -hmm. started submitting what you said were very bad films, which is <laughs> what I would submit if I were doing that. So, of, <laughs> you know, of those 1,100 or so films, about how many of them might wind up as part of True Faults? Um, unfortunately, not. Well, so the, the decision for a lot of, I would say, four to five films tend to come from that pool. Okay. Um, and you know, we, as I said, we play around thirty-eight features. Right. 20, right. So the chances are small, but not zero. Not zero. No. Uh, I mean, what I will say is that it's that we take that process extremely seriously, mm -hmm. um, because as a programmer who wants to like, you know 
we want to make our names in the world, the most important thing is actually discovery and finding you know talent that was not on the industry's radar already. And the best place to locate that is within our submissions pool. Um, so that's we spend a lot of time going through films. Unfortunately, a lot of there are also other you know people in the industry, many most whose jobs revolve around identifying talent. And so frequently in the earlier stages of production, films do end up getting put on the radars of be it the Sundance Institute or other kind of funding agencies. So mm -hmm. films have a you know tend to get on people's radars earlier in their process as a as a program. But we believe there are films out there and filmmakers and artists who aren't getting acknowledged by the industry yet, and and we're trying to find those those artists. And yeah, that's. Those are the people who come from our submissions pool usually. Okay. So Camelia, we've we've this has been a Chris and Lee conversation, so we're gonna drag you in. So I wanna get back to something um, we started talking about, which was the the whole true life fund thing. Mm -hmm. Um I've been going to the festival long enough that I remember before there was a true life fund. Mm -hmm. And I do remember being in the audience and going, gosh, those people seem like they could use some help. Mm -hmm. I wonder how I could do that. So I, I sort of get the impetus yeah. for why it started, but it's it's become controversial, I think that would be a fair thing to say, in the past year or so because of the the partnership, if you will, with a local church. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned partnerships earlier. So tell us a little bit about who does the festival partner with and why does the <laughs> festival partner with these people and have you run out of partners and all of that sort of thing? Sure. I Well, I mean, I guess there's a couple of def different definitions of partnership. Uh -huh. um, so the the crossing, the church you mentioned, was a sponsor. And so we have a lot of sponsor partners. Okay. Um, and definitely we call them partners because they are working with us and we are working with them. And, and if you're a sponsor, does us. that mean, okay, when you said supporting you, does that mean they're not just financially? Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. yes. All right. So there's sponsors and then mm -hmm. there's partners. Yes. So um, the partners side of things is a little bit more wide ranging. Okay. So, you know, for example, um, I would say that we've been partnering with the Columbia Public School System for a really long time. We do. Uh -huh. We have a lot of education programs. Our education team has been working with Columbia Public Schools for a, many, many years. Um, so they are a really good partner of ours. They don't necessarily support us financially. Um, and so it's a different relationship than a sponsor relationship. But it's a, it's a way to do education. It's a way to yes. ignite people's creative mm -hmm. juices, all of those sorts yes. of things. Yes, yes. Okay, so and Columbia schools who else yeah so well the other um piece of it is that well it's mostly been through our education programs okay um until fairly recently we've we've had for a long time our education team has been um education and outreach and uh -huh. a couple of years ago we decided that outreach wasn't exactly what we were looking for we were looking for community partnerships and so we decided to change that to education and community partnerships and have bolstered that team in the last year or year and a half um, by adding more people who are specifically um, tasked with building those community partnerships. And so those people are in the process of, um, you know, working with the uh, t contacts that they have in the community and trying to bring in groups that we haven't really worked with very much. Um, and, you know, off the top of my head, I can't necessarily think of any. Can you think of anything, spe any specific groups or... 
Um, I mean, I think of it more in the context of the cinema side. Yeah, we do, there's, there's screenings there. on like almost a monthly yeah. basis, but and different kind mm -hmm. of organizations throughout the yeah, community. Yeah, we work with a lot of nonprofits, a lot of other nonprofits. So, you know, for example, we recently did a screening um, in honor of World AIDS Day right. in, co yes. in collaboration with the Central Project. And so I believe it's every month we work with a different nonprofit in the community and do a screening surrounding issues that they're interested in. And what do what do you hope to get out of that kind of a partnership? Hmm. Well, a lot of things. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that's been really gratifying about being a part of this organization is, is how connected um, we are with the community, but we're still not as connected as we could be, right? So uh -huh. it's sort of expanding that reach and making sure that we are working with all, all aspects of our community, all of the populations within our community. Um, so that's a big thing for me, and just providing opportunities for people to engage with, you know, the organization, both the cinema and the fest, but also engage with film and be um, given the opportunity to have conversations about the issues that they want to have conversations about. 